This is the Tallahassee Business Podcast, brought to you by the Greater Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce. Thank you to our sponsor, 223 Agency, a digital relations firm helping you maximize and develop your digital footprint. Check them out on the web at 223agency.com. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of the Tallahassee Business Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Sue Dick, and I'm president and CEO of the Greater Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce. Very excited to have a friend here with us today, Doug Wheeler, president and CEO of the Florida Ports Council. And I'm really excited about our conversation. What we want to try and do as a Chamber of Commerce is highlight a couple of things that are very unique to our community. We are lucky in Tallahassee to have executives that could be located not only anywhere in the state, but anywhere in the country based on their expertise, running organizations that have large economic footprints. And we're gonna learn a little bit about one of those industry sectors from Doug Wheeler, who's here with us today and very excited. I think our listeners are gonna be intrigued to know the scope of what you do and the fact that you actually live here and are a resident and love our community. So Doug, thanks for being with us today. No, it's great to be here, Sue. Thanks for having me. It's uh, obviously, as you know, I, I have a, a, a soft spot in my heart for, for Chamber of Commerce World. And uh, so it's great to be here, uh, taking an opportunity to talk a little bit about what we do in front of my hometown chamber. Very good. Well, tell us a little bit before we jump into to the ports world, maybe let our listeners know a little bit about you, both professionally and personally, and, and why we're so lucky to have you here in Tallahassee. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep it brief. I uh, was actually born in Tallahassee and uh, moved to New Orleans with my family. I was probably about 11. Um, so as I tell people, I spent my impressionable years uh, in the Big Easy, <laughs> learned how to uh, eat and drink and appreciate uh, art and music and history. So I wouldn't trade that t- time there for anything, um, although I'm certainly not looking to go back uh, to live there. But uh, And then came back to Tallahassee to uh, go to Florida State, graduated and pretty much have spent the rest of my career uh, here in Tallahassee with the uh, sort of association, government affairs, tilt uh, background. Uh, Spent several years with um, the National Association of Builders and Contractors, but worked very closely with uh, many of our our local contractors and our local chapter here, ABC North Florida. And then um, went and spent about six years as the senior uh, management team with Mark Wilson and his group over at the Florida Chamber of Commerce. Um, And of course, that's uh, you and I uh, certainly go back uh, quite a bit ways I won't date it. But uh, and then kind of stumbled, honestly, into this role with the Florida Council. I've been here just over 10 years. Uh, It's been a great run. We've had a really good, I'll tell you, there's something for timing because when I came in shortly after uh, Governor Scott came in and took a real interest in ports and and committed uh, real investments to those seaports and really was a a game changer. But, um, you know, I think it's always funny. I always tell people because they're always like, oh, where are you based? And I'm like, oh, Tallahassee. And they're like, does Tallahassee have a port? Well, St. Mark's does technically, but, um, but, you know, I've, uh, I've always loved Tallahassee. I can't really see myself leaving um, as a city. It's been a great place to raise uh, my kids and I'm an FSU guy. So that counts. And I love pretty much anything uh, in the woods or water. So uh, this area offers all of that and uh, a great business community. So uh, it's always good to be here and I'm looking forward to staying for a while as well. So. Right. Wonderful. Well, we're glad you're here. So maybe go ahead and define for individuals Florida Ports Council, and maybe also for all of us that live in this great state, what an asset our ports are, just the scope of how many there are, and and just to get a visual as people listen. Well, so 
really think of the Florida Ports Council as like many of the, I think, four or 500 other trade associations that are such a huge impact to, to the local community um, from a financial situation, from a jobs situation, uh, probably an industry, the association industry headquarter in Tallahassee is probably an underappreciated and undervalued uh, industry to the average person, I would guess. But uh, so the Florida Ports Council represents Florida's 14 uh, public deep water seaports around the state. Uh, so from Pensacola uh, over in Northwest, all the way down to Key West and back up the East Coast up to uh, Jacksonville and Fernandina at the state line. And really what we've been able to do is bring these ports together and and represent them through, um, you know, leadership through a collective voice in the areas of uh, ad advocacy at both the state and federal levels, as well as uh, some research and, and data and then uh, marketing and, and communications. Uh, and so Florida's seaports are really, um, I mean, they're a tremendous economic generator for the state. There's, there's no denying that. They're really just essentially catalysts for commerce. They're, they're sort of these um, at these local community assets that are being leveraged um, to generate commerce and business, um, whether that be regionally, locally, or, or globally, um, and, and connecting these communities to vital national and international markets. Uh, these activities at our port are generating about $117 billion annually, uh, with about $86 billion of that coming annually in, in trade. They're generating local and state tax revenues of about four and a half billion dollars uh, around the state. And as a whole activities, these are supporting about 900,000 uh, jobs. So certainly um, a real value, not only to the local communities uh, in and around our ports, because they certainly have regional components to them, um, but also uh, to the state economy and really to the national economy as well. So, you know, um, they're important. They're uh, they're, they're sort of that everybody drives by their port but doesn't really understand what, what goes on and how that works and um, just sees the big ships. But uh, there's, there's no question, Florida's a maritime state and um, we've got 14 of these assets around the state and we're continuing to do everything we can to leverage the economic benefits from those, those ports. Well, and I think, you know, it's all about really the job and the commerce that comes out of it. Um, no denying with COVID uh, looming over us that like every industry, our ports have been impacted. Um, maybe if you can highlight what the ports have done in response to this crisis and, and how that world is being impacted. Sure. Well, so there's really, uh, you know, this, this, during this critical time, our ports and really no differently than businesses and families across the state have been hit hard, uh, but we're a resilient state. Uh, we, we prove that uh, every summer after summer after summer, this summer, no different. Um, and we will recover. I, I'm confident of that. I'm confident that our seaports will, will, will likely play a very big role in that recovery. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we're, we're about $117 billion. Our ports are delivering pretty much everything that people, businesses, residents, uh, consumers in our state are using in their everyday life. So uh, furniture, clothing, fuel, uh, food, uh, salt, sugar, fertilizer, I mean, automobiles, it just, it goes on and on. There's really not a cargo that our ports really can't handle. Um, and then, you know, really when you talk about the cruise industry, uh, Florida is the global cruise leader. There's, it's undisputed. We have the top 
one, two, and three cruise ports in the world located in here in Florida. Um, we're generating about 62% of all U.S. cruising. Um, and moving, well, we, we were moving about 18 million cruisers through our ports uh, annually. Um, and so that's a huge industry, uh, you know, that if you'll let me, bear with me for a minute, let me kind of set the stage so we have an idea of what, what happens when you sort of turn that spigot off uh, as the CDC did with cruising. But, um, you know, this is an industry that's touching restaurants, hotels, retail, taxis and Uber drivers, shuttle drivers, right? The, uh, the lady that serves breakfast in the hotel across from the cruise port that people are gonna have breakfast before they get on their ship. It really goes on and on. We're now hearing about farmers who are, you know, because schools were reduced and closed and the cruises, you know, that they're starting to feel the pinch. So, you know, if you, just from a scale, if you take, you know, one of the larger cruise ships that comes into a port, we see these day in, day out, all year long in Florida, and when that company has to come in and get all the garbage, all the people off, and then put all the new food back on, uh, about 5,000 lobster tails, uh, 23,000 ice cream cones, right? Just random, uh, eight, 14,000 pounds of potatoes, right? 9,000 heads of lettuce, uh, 8,000 pounds of cheese, 18,000 pounds of beef, 48,000 uh, eggs and 5,000 pounds of bananas. And in my case, you know, 179 bottles of bourbon, right? So this goes on across at least, you know, five of our home ported cruise ports uh, all year long. And so that industry basically with, with COVID, you just had a spigot go off. I mean, we've got some ports that have seen 80% of their revenues literally just turned off overnight for the last um, you know, nine months. So, you know, those are, those are losses that are beginning to really mount and really have, uh, tremendous impacts. I mean, I think initially we were seeing, uh, some of the cargoes, uh, steel was one of the early cargoes that we saw kind of drop off. Uh, then it was automobiles. Uh, um, but you know, our cruise ports are still pretty vulnerable. Um, there's honestly, I'm not sure we'll have any, maybe a few, uh, in 2020. And it's probably well into the second quarter of 2021 before you see a real level um, of, of cruising returning. Um, so when you talk impacts, they're big, they're big. We had an estimate done um, to look at the impacts through 2020. Um, that uh, These estimates are generating uh, about 169,000 jobs lost uh, in this industry about a total of a $23 billion loss in economic activity across the state. Um, and then of course that includes, you know, $775 million in local and state tax revenues. So, um, and then from a cargo standpoint, you know, we're seeing uh, about an eighth of a reduction in containers, about a half a million containers reduced, um, which is significant. Um, uh, about five and a half million tons of liquid bulk. We do, you know, it's ironic because really the, the, the key we've always touted about Florida's ports is that we're so diverse. And that's what's really keeping a lot of our ports um, in stable condition right now is, is the cargo. So, uh, you know, uh, to see some of that initially, that you know, fuel, like I said, dropped off just tremendously. Nobody was flying, nobody was driving. Yeah. You know, then we saw, like I said, the steel when the manufacturing started to shut down. Um, so we're looking at like 10 million fewer cruisers. So it's, it's, it's big. And, and honestly, they continue to grow. Um, and uh, at, 
all levels and across all industries, really. So it's, it's unfortunate because we were really doing well uh, up until this crisis. And while I have optimism for our recovery, um, it really was a, um, a real momentum killer in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, and to your point, I mean, there's, there's still a lot of unknown as it relates to the pandemic. So as you plan and as you map towards 2021, um, I mean, what do you think some of the things that are gonna be needed to be able to move forward through the pandemic as it relates to the port and just the industry in and around it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, look, at first and foremost, our ports, their top priority has been to remain open and active and ensuring that the steady flow of critical cargo, such as medical supplies and fuel and food continues to move, move through the ports. Um, and, and I think they have been playing a critical role in that and continuing, but they're also having to look at starting to put you know, some of these, these safety measures in place in order to protect the maritime workforces, whether that be cargo or crews. Um, so uh, a lot of things put in place to just be able to maintain a basic state of operational readiness. And some of that's included from a personnel standpoint of um, teleworking or staggered, staggered office hours and a lot of the typical um, cleaning protocols. Uh, we've seen uh, cruise terminals retrofit their HVAC systems to the higher level filtration systems. Um, that will, will certainly help. Um, we're seeing from at least the port standpoint again, you know, their uh, you know, new pro uh, sanitation protocols and things like that. Um, and they've installed a touch-free access points, you know. So now we're still waiting to see a lot. The CDC has sort of come out with its latest round of what is going to be required. Um, from a cruise standpoint in order for them. And it's pretty stringent. Um, you know, so I think, you know, when you look at cruising specifically, it looks like you're going to need to be tested before you get on the vessel, probably on port. Um, and I believe they're talking about testing it as you get off to your port of call uh, locations as well. I think those port of call locations will be altered. A lot of these cruise lines have their own private islands. I think you're going to initially see shorter cruises, three day, five day, um, probably less capacity, right? So they'll run at 25 or 50% capacity. Um, part of that is, is sort of that testing of these new procedures. Uh, you know, they're gonna increase the water temperature that they do linens with. Uh, those, the self-serve buffets are, you know, those are gone. Um, probably staggered dinner reservations. So, so there's a lot of things they can do and I'm sure there'll be mask protocols for certain areas of the vessels as well. And, uh, certainly boarding and all that, but uh, but a lot of that has to do with consumer confidence, right? So for many cruisers, I could probably sell a cruise tomorrow, booked, solid, right? But for a lot that are still hardcore cruisers, they still have a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainties. And so those are the folks I think that the industry is going to have to, the industry as well as the ports themselves are going to have to be able to demonstrate that, um, that these protocols are, are in place and that they are effectively um, doing what they can to protect the, the cruisers and, and the workers. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think um, everybody's got a, a wonderful scope and thank you for teeing up people realizing we're talking about 14 ports of entry here in, in our state. Maybe if you can, as, as we move towards wrapping up, if you can bring it back maybe to a regional perspective to really have our listeners in the region kind of think about the North Florida piece and the, and the ports that are maybe all along that touch into the I-10 or the I-75 corridors and, and your vantage point, what opportunities are there for North Florida? And then I obviously 
in and around the Tallahassee Leon County area. And this does play into the assets that come with ports, but maybe in your professional perspective and as we look to the future, what opportunities with every crisis there is, there are opportunities. So maybe what yeah. we're casting out for. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Tallahassee Leon County is in actually a great um, area from a geography standpoint, because really from a, a drayage, you know, you put a product on a truck or a train and, uh, you know, to take that to say Jacksport, which would really be the closest big major diverse port. I mean, two, two and a half hours, that's, that's nothing. That's very doable, very attractive for a manufacturer, say to, so to speak, who could come in, perhaps get land a little cheaper, right? Cause he's got to drive a little closer. Um, but you know, just to the West, uh, let me pause on Port St. Joe, but there is really good news on Port St. Joe. I think we've broken the chicken and egg dilemma there. Um, but just to the West of that, you have a Port Panama city. Um, I'm telling you, this is the port that could, this, uh, port is having a record year, despite the, uh, COVID-19, um, they're diverse. They have on-site manufacturing. They have, uh, container cargo, uh, frozen cargo, uh, you name it. I mean, they are, they're doing trade with you know, Mexico and multiple countries. Um, and a lot of people wouldn't really realize that, you know, Panama City has this port that is really growing. They just added a whole new East Terminal, which is a game changer from a capacity standpoint. So um, I look to see tremendous growth opportunities there. And again, a drayage to or from that port to this community is, is well within acceptable, you know, uh, uh, means. Um, and then as far as Port St. Joe goes, uh, you know, that's been a real struggle, but it looks like they are prepared to start handling a customer that wants to use the downed timber in the panhandle from uh, Hurricane Michael, um, which, from what I understand at this point, is useless for just about anything other than uh, to grind up and then send to Honduras to be made into wood chips for them to use, I think, in their some of their energy fabrications. So, um, that looks like that's, I mean, that is, that's happening. As a matter of fact, I think they even got their first shipment of the wood scraps from maybe Pensacola. Um, and so there's a few, few things we still got to get going there. The channel needs a little bit of work. There's a rail bridge spur that needs a little bit of work, but boy, it seems like we finally kind of broke that. And so again, you know, from a drainage standpoint, you look at a port that has, um, you know, easy connections to the interstate system. It's got water, it's got rail and it's got land. And so from, you know, you know, as an economic development standpoint, this is a, a real opportunity. And so I do think, um, and I'm struggling for the name and maybe you can help me, but there was a program created called Golf to Gadsden, maybe, uh, a multi-region, uh, multi-county regional sort of uh, consortium that wants to really focus on capitalizing on some opportunities. Um, I know that doesn't quite come to our region, but, um, logistics really doesn't know, you know, county lines and things like no. that. So, and then I think it's kind of outside my realm. Um, and I know my good friend uh, at the airport, David Pollard is interested, but I do think that there are real opportunities for us with the airport. Um, the potential to reconnect the airport to the old rail spur um, just off property would, could be tremendous. And again, this could still be uh, customers that would be using our ports, right? So you could have a a manufacturer that needs his his product his supplies flown in and then he's going to put his product together and then she can find a truck or a train to get it to jacksonville or panama city 
Um, so I, I think we're really in a, in a good position to, um, uh, particularly as those three ports and maybe even a port of Fernandina, which is sort of in a growth mode, as those continue to grow, I think we have real opportunities, but um, you know, we're gonna have to continue to make sure we're, we're focusing on that here in our own community and making sure that we are letting people know that from a, a, a geographic standpoint, a logistics standpoint, we're actually in a pretty, pretty good position and, and we offer uh, way more from a business climate standpoint than most of the communities in between those ports to the east and to the west, right? Without, without being uh, unfriendly to our neighbors, but you know what I mean? No, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, everybody wants to know well, what's the value and really what's the definition of Tallahassee International Airport. You touched on it with the, with the customs and the clearance and the cargo opportunity. That's part of the international designation. So it was very strategic in trying to secure that for our airport. And you just laid out really the roadmap of what that looks at looks like and why, you know, it, it you need all of those pieces to come together. Well, you know, you've, there's so much more we could talk about. You know, Doug, thanks for what you're doing. Um, this is important. Uh, it's important for our state. It's important for our region. But most importantly, you've offered to be a part of all of these conversations and to help in any way. And we will certainly continue to tap into that knowledge. Um, any closing comments or remarks you want to make? No, look, I think uh, our ports have, have had a long history in the state. And I think they will continue to do everything they can to uh, help our state recover, help our state grow. Um, we're going to need a little bit of time, but and and maybe a little bit of money. We'll we'll see where that is, but um, but I'm confident that we will we will be a, a big critical part in, in our state's recovery. And um, it was great to be here. Thanks for all you do, Sue, in the Tallahassee Chamber for our hometown business climate. Um, it's one that uh, we you know never ceases to amaze me as as this town continues to grow. My parents were just in last week and. I just can't believe, you know, the cascade. So it's a great community and I appreciate everything you guys are doing. Thank you, Doug. We look forward to continuing working together. Have a have a great rest of, uh, I guess, of what's left of this year and we'll yeah. 2021 successfully. But thank you, Doug, for all you do. Appreciate great. it. Thanks for having me. Good talk to all you right. soon. All righty. Bye-bye.